Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Good morning. Once again, glad that you are joining us for our worship service this morning. And want to let you know just about a couple things that you can continue to be connected with. First of all, each week, if you're on our email list, we're still sending out a bulletin, which is the bulletin that you would get if you were here on Sunday morning. And that gives you a lot of updates on just items for prayer in our community, but also some activities. And obviously, there's not a whole lot that is going on, but there are a few things that we're still doing. And one of those things that I particularly wanted to highlight to you is the Vision House. Many of you know that we have participated and partnered with Vision House here in Shoreline, which is a home that provides transitional housing for women and children. And they have had an apartment building that serves many, many families for a while now. And their second apartment building is almost finished. And along with our Women's Ministries Committee, we at Brian are working to help furnish one of those apartments. So we're collecting items for two bedrooms and a bathroom. There's a registry on Bed Bath & Beyond that you can order those things and have them shipped. And they're also, we're also taking some donations for some of the larger items that we can't, uh, we can't put on the registry. So if you would like to, to help out with that, we would greatly appreciate that. You can, again, get that information in the bulletin, all the details that you need. So make sure you're checking your email for that. And if you're not on our email list, we would love to get you on that email list. And you can go to our church website and sign up for that or just send an email to office at berean-shoreline.org. And we'd be happy to get you connected to our email list so that you can be getting our bulletins and all the other important information that we are sending out. I want to thank you so much for your continued support for the ministry at Berean. We are gonna, we're continuing to do the Lord's work and we're continuing to try to serve you and to serve one another, to serve our neighborhood and our community during these times. And so we just want to thank you again for those of you who are giving. I know many of you are giving online or, or sending in those checks and we're so grateful for the ways that you're continuing to, to partner with one another and to encourage one another through all that you're doing. We uh, Let's pray again for uh, our service this morning and for the offering that uh, is being sent in. God, we thank you so much that even though we are apart, that we have this technology, we have this ability to stay connected. Uh, we live in a world that is um, struggling to uh, understand what is happening. And yet you are a God who knows all. You are a God who is faithful and understands our fears and our hopes. We pray that as we worship together, that as we return uh, to you some of what you have given to us, that we may understand that you are still working in our lives. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you are saying and doing through us today and each day this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain, burn beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me. When I am surrounded, your love carries me. joy that's growing deep inside of me. Every time I see you, all your goodness shines through. I can feel this God song rising up in me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. Today's scripture includes selections from Psalm 18. For the director of music, of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. You save the humble. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on heights. You make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. You provide a broad path for my feet. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. 
Exalted be God, my Savior. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. May the word of the Lord be a blessing to you today. Thanks for joining once again uh, for this uh, worship service. We're so glad that you uh, take some time to spend with us during this time. We're doing a, a series right now while we are meeting like this uh, that has to do with uh, help in challenging times. And these are, of course, indeed challenging times. Uh, we miss everybody. And, uh, of course, this, this facility was uh, built uh, to be a place of uh, fellowship, uh, we gather and we worship, we learn from God's word, we share the gospel of, of, of salvation. And, uh, and, and so we're just, uh, continue to meet this way and, uh, bless, uh, bless you for sharing this time with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray for your blessing upon your word to our hearts. 
And we pray that we might be attentive to your word throughout this week as we walk with you and share the good news of salvation through our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This morning we want to uh, do a, a series, just a lesson from uh, the book of Acts. Last week we uh, focused on Peter and his experience of walking on water and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this one also has to do with Peter. But the context is in uh, chapter 12. But the context of chapter 11, we see that uh, this is a time of hardship and, and challenging times for these these Christian believers. This is after the martyrdom of Stephen. This is after the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Peter has gone to Cornelius. And we see in chapter 11, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And it tells us how they were just speaking to the Jews, but then some Gentiles came to faith as well, and this church began in Antioch, and the the brothers in Jerusalem sent word up to Antioch, and they sent Barnabas up there. And when he saw what was going on, he went and got Saul of Tarsus and brought him to Antioch. And we see in verse 26, in the middle of it, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. But then verse 27, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit, he predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The persecution of Stephen has scattered uh, Christians. And now we see this severe famine that has particularly impacted Jerusalem so that the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem need help. And so the Antioch church sends help down to them. So these are challenging times. These are exciting times. Uh, People are coming to faith. God is at work. But they're also challenging times. And so we come to chapter 12, which is where our lesson today comes from. Chapter 12, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Now, I want to stop for a minute. This is Herod Agrippa. He is the grandson of Herod the Great, who we are introduced to in the Gospels when Jesus was born. Herod Agrippa, and remember the Herod family considered themselves Jews because uh, their great-grandfather was uh, forcibly converted to Judaism. They were, they were actually Edomites from uh, that area. And uh, this particular uh, Herod, he's just called Herod here, but he's Herod Agrippa. He is one who had endeared himself to many of the more conservative, uh, the, the ruling party, uh, the Jews. He, he uh, moved, most of his residency was in Jerusalem. And so he is here during this time, and it says that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, so more than one. He arrested several. Remember that the Christians, those who called themselves Christians, they were always liable to be arrested on the grounds of sedition. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ at his trial, when they said he claimed he claimed to be king. We have no other king than Caesar, and that, of course, was illegal. And they could use that. And they could use that against the Christians as worshiping another king than Caesar. Uh, the, the emperor of Rome was worshipped as a god. Only the Jewish uh, religion was exempt from that worship. And now as this sect of Judaism from the Roman perspective is beginning to take shape, 
uh, they could be uh, considered seditious against the government. So they were arrested. And in that arrest, and, and it says that he intended to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That's all we're told. And we have here the first of the 12 disciples, the the 11, uh, of course, after Judas and Matthias, the first of them who are who is martyred. James, the brother of John. Now, remember, there were three disciples who kind of formed the inner core of the Lord's ministry with his disciple, Peter, James, and John. They were the ones who were taken up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And we'll see in the Gospels times where they particularly are close to Jesus. Uh, John and James are brothers. And it's interesting. James is the first to be martyred. John is the last of the disciples. We know from church history and from its good history that as he wrote the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos, he outlived all the apostles and disciples. And so we have these uh, bookends here. And, uh, you know, sometimes in God's, God's will and God's way, uh, some are delivered, some are persecuted, some meet their death. We see this in the book of Hebrews where the author of the Hebrews said they were, after listing all these great heroes of the faith, that he mentioned others who were stoned, who were sawn asunder, who who met their death. Uh, that is in God's hand, but they were faithful. We know with, with um, James and John, if we go back to the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 10, there's, a, there's actually a prophecy about them where they come to the Lord. And uh, in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 39, 30, uh, 39 uh, well, actually verse 38, uh, they asked the Lord Jesus if they could be, if they could sit on his right and left hand in the kingdom. And the Lord says in verse 38, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And we know after the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, this would have become clear. As the Lord prayed in the garden, the Lord, take this cup away from me. He had to drink the cup of God's wrath upon sin. And the baptism was the baptism of his death, being placed into physical death. The Lord predicts, yes, you indeed will. And here James uh, suffers this martyrdom. He is brutally murdered by Herod. James, the brother of John. This is not James, the brother of Jesus, who is now the head of the Jerusalem church. James, the brother of John. So back in Luke, uh, Acts chapter 12, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the feast of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in a prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. A couple of things here. This mention of the Passover is really important in this story. It's a really important link, and the, and the Jewish readers would certainly have gathered this uh, this connection. Jesus was was killed during the Passion Week, during the Passover week. Um, Passover is a time to celebrate the the redemption from from imprisonment, from slavery, from Egypt. And here it's on Passover week that Peter is arrested 
but he is not going to be executed until the day after Passover. And as he does, as this takes place, uh, we see that it, that, that the king realized that this pleased those who were wanting to persecute the, the Christians. And so he did this. Happened during the feast of unleavened bread. He puts them in prison. And in that prison, he says there are 16 soldiers. And that, what we understand there, there's, there's a rotation in shifts, four soldiers per shift, most likely, uh, throughout the day, the six hour shifts. And so, uh, Peter is in prison with these soldiers. And we're going to see that he is shackled on each side to two guards, and then two would be guarding the door. This would have been a, a terrible blow to these early believers in Jerusalem. This is Peter. We've already lost James, Peter, James, and John, three of the closest disciples to our Lord Jesus Christ. And there would be no reason to think that Peter is not going to be killed as well. Now, Peter has been delivered already from prison twice. And we see in chapter 5 that an angel delivers him. In both those cases, he was arrested by the religious leaders. This time, it's the Romans who have arrested him. And whatever God has planned, there is good reason to think that Peter is going to be the next uh, to be executed by Herod after James has been executed. He's in prison. He's guarded. It's Passover time. He's going to bring him out for a public trial, a show trial after prison, after, after Passover. So in verse five, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And we're going to see that the, that the believers have gathered in a house. And I'm sure the word is spread around among all in Jerusalem, all the believers. And everybody is earnestly praying. This word earnestly here is a strong word. It has, it's the same word used of, of Jesus in the garden when he, when he earnestly prayed to God. This is where he sweat drops of blood, remember? And it was agonized. It's, they were praying in, in, in earnestness, begging God, praying for, during Passover. These are, these are Jewish people. And they are, it's during Passover and they are gathered for Passover and they are praying during this special Passover praying for Peter's release from prison and to protect his life. They are praying earnestly to God for him. And so in verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. So remember, he was going to bring him out the day after Passover. So this could have been on Passover. On the night before he was to come to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And there we have Peter shackled on each side. Uh, one to, to one guard and one to another. Peter is sleeping. He is sleeping between these two, these two guards. And the other two sentries, they stood at the entrance. This is a very well secured prisoner. And uh, the Romans have made sure that nothing happens because the next day Peter is coming to trial and he is going to be executed by Herod brutally. Just as James was beheaded, so will Peter be. And it will be a real blow to these believers for Peter to be executed already. So, verse 7. Suddenly, an angel. This kind of harks back to the birth narratives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Suddenly, an angel appears. Uh, suddenly an angel from God. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Uh, a divine light from this angel. Uh, not like they turned on and lit candles or anything, but it's nighttime. It's dark. 
He's between two Roman guards. And an angel appears and a light shines in this cell. The guards don't wake up. So obviously God is at work here in a miraculous way. The angel shows up and it says, he struck Peter on the side and he woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. It's interesting that this word for strike is a strong word. He didn't nudge him and didn't shake him. Hey, hey Peter, wake up, wait. He struck him. It's the same word that's used when God, in the, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when God strikes the Assyrian army. The angel sh- strikes him and, and gives him a good nudge. says, get up, Peter, wake up. And he wakes Peter up out of this deep sleep. And when he does so, the chains fell off. Quick, get up. And I want you, as we go through this, I want you to see some of these connections with Passover. This would, this would clearly connect with these Jewish believers who, are, who, who, who see this and hear this story and hear the account of it. Quick, get up. We're going to leave. It's Passover. And the angel said to him, verse 8, put on your clothes and sandals. Remember in the story of Passover? They were told, eat this dinner with your shoes on your feet, your cloak on, because the Lord is coming tonight. And when the angel of death comes and strikes and strikes the firstborn in Egypt, you must be ready to leave. You must go quickly. You cannot wait. There's a lot of connection here with Passover. And so he says, put your clothes on. And Peter did so. And then he gives even more instructions. It's like telling Peter how to dress. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing and was and was really happening. He's telling us Peter Peter wasn't sure if this was real. He didn't he was he's woken out of a deep sleep. He's almost kind of in a stupor and the angel has to tell him, put this on, put this on, get it, follow me, and give him all these instructions. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision, a dream. He thought he was dreaming and, and God was giving him a vision. They passed the first and then the second guard. They came to the iron gate leading to the city. They were probably in Fortress Antonio on the north side of the Temple Mount. And that fortress overlooked the temple grounds to always watch for any insurrection or any problems. And Roman soldiers could get in there quickly if they needed to. And this is where he would be guarded. Remember, this is Passover weekend. The Lord Jesus Christ was in this same area by the Romans when he was held and when, during his interrogation and so forth by the Roman authorities and then over to Caiaphas's palace a ways away. The gates opened by themselves and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. They probably left Fortress Antonio and walked along the west, the, the street that went along the western wall and they could have crossed the arch down to the lower city and he, he left and without having to go through the temple and the angel took him and he was out in the street and suddenly the angel was gone. And then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued us, rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were in as the leaders, the leaders of Israel, those who were trying to harm Peter, everything that they were anticipating. Again, think of the connection with Passover, nighttime, an angel, sandals and clothes on, gates open to leave, 
and God delivers. And Peter is on his own, dressed in the city. It's dangerous. If the guards wake up and find out he's gone, they will be looking everywhere for him. Their lives are on the line. And if you finish reading the story, you'll find out they are executed for losing Peter. But Peter leaves and he goes right to a place where he knows that the Christians will be gathering. In verse 12, he went to the house. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. That is John Mark, who will show up later on in the book of Acts as well. John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and they were praying. This is a group that were praying earnestly for Peter to be released. They were praying, it's Passover. It's a dangerous time. Who's next? James, maybe Peter, persecuted arrested other believers. Who's next? Are they gathered in fear? Are the doors locked because of fear? It's, it's a Passover celebration. Uh, this is a dangerous time. Things are changing quickly for these believers. It's a dangerous time. And, and Peter goes to the house. And it says he knocks at the outer entrance. So this house was, was a, a big enough house of a more well-to-do family that would have a big enough room for these many people to gather, but also would have a courtyard and an outer door that would allow you into the courtyard before you came into the house. And so Peter stands outside this door and he knocks. Verse 14, well, verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She was so overcome with emotion. She she was a servant girl, but she was part of this household. And she was, I'm sure, praying with them as well. She knew Peter's voice. These people knew Peter. They had spent time with him. And, and, and she recognized his voice. And as soon as she heard his voice on the other side of the door, she was so overcome with emotion that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. It's almost, this is a serious lesson. This is a serious story. There's almost a bit of comic relief in this, isn't there? That she goes to the door, she hears Peter's voice, it's interesting. The, the, the gates of the prison were flung open by the angel. Peter comes to the house where the believers are and the door's locked and he can't get in. And Rhoda is so overcome with emotion, she forgets to open, let Peter in, and she runs back to tell everybody this wonderful news, this good news. Just like the women at the tomb went to tell the disciples. And she got the same response they got. They didn't believe her. She ran back. And she said, Peter is at the door in verse 15. You are out of your mind, they told her. They are out of your... These people are praying for God's power to release Peter. And while they are there earnestly praying, God has been at work. Peter is released. And they say, you're out of your mind. Isn't it interesting? Peter, this whole episode with the angel, and he doesn't realize what's going on. He thinks it's a vision. It's, it's not real till he comes to the people inside, they don't believe it either. The only person who really seems to believe anything is Rhoda. And it says that, that they say, and Peter kept knocking, verse 16. Peter kept knocking at the door. Peter is out there knocking. They, they had said in verse 15, when she kept insisting that it was so, she kept insisting, no, it's Peter, I know his voice. They said it must be his angel. That's, we don't really know exactly. There are some who believe that there was this Jewish thought of guardian angels, that each had a guardian angel, and that this was Peter's guardian angel. 
or an angel coming on behalf of Peter, not so much Peter's ghost or whatever, but an angel. If it's, if it is an angel, then it's only out there probably to tell us that Peter's been executed. They thought it was a guardian angel coming to give them news of Peter. And most likely it would not be good news. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. It was Peter. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. He described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, this would be James, brother of the Lord, and the brothers about this, he said. And he then left for another place. And then the next morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And of course, they lost their lives because that was the, that was the standard rule. If you lose a, if you lose a prisoner, it could cost your life. We'll see this with the story of Paul and Silas as well. What a wonderful story. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that, that Peter was going to be saved. James wasn't. John was. Till he, till, till he was maybe in his 90s before he died. There's no guarantee. As far as we know, all these apostles, as far as we know, there might be one exception. We're all martyrs, I mentioned before, for their faith and for their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Herod meets his end after this. You can finish reading this chapter that Herod uh, allowed himself to be worshipped as a god when the people came and exclaimed that in verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And you can read the gory story of, of how he how he died. Josephus affirms this as well. Some of his details are different, but he affirms that Herod met Herod. This Herod met this terrible end. In fact, one of the commentators even uh, titled his chapter on this Passover versus Herod. Because the Passover theme is so strong here of God's deliverance and God's deliverance of, of Peter. During this challenging time, Stephen has been martyred. There's a famine in Jerusalem. Food is scarce. They have to receive help from Antioch, from other believers who don't even know them, to send food and money down there for food. Many have been arrested. James has been beheaded. Peter is next. And now the believers are gathered, praying earnestly. These are challenging times. They were quarantined in their home, if you will, uh, by their own choice this Passover, because this was very uncertain and dangerous and challenging times. And I thought of this lesson today as, as I was thinking about some of the things we can learn from this lesson that might be helpful. We're just trying to focus on during these challenging times. And this is, this is a challenge. It's a challenge for us as a church. We're not being persecuted. You know, there's a difference between being persecuted and going through challenging times. Uh, in this particular case, the reason we're not meeting is we are, as we mentioned before, we are abiding by the regulations by our authorities to help stop this, this spread of this virus. We want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. We're looking forward to the time that we can gather. Whatever, whatever that means, however that is, we'll, we'll look at that carefully and we'll work carefully with them. But we will be, we will be together again. But it's a challenge. The church was meant to, to, to gather. This is our history. This is our story. We, we were meant, this, this facility I'm in right now that we recently remodeled, and I know you enjoy seeing the fireplace that reminds you of that. This was, this was done so we could fellowship and share each other's lives. And in so doing, share God's love and God's warmth and share the good news of salvation to teach one another, to worship, 
to fellowship. This is, this is what the church has always done. And we are looking forward to that. But these are challenging times. These are challenging times for you and your families, for a lot of you. For some of you, uh, like I mentioned before, you're enjoying some of the time off and some of the difference from the normal busyness. Others of you are just really busy right now, uh, trying to keep up with the schooling with your children, trying to do your work from home, uh, trying to shop and do every day. These are challenging, difficult times. And we, of course, we know health-wise for many people, this has been challenging. And uh, and for our, our those who are essential workers, who are working with the public, challenging times. A few lessons for you today uh, from this. Number one, Peter sleeps. I mean, how does Peter so sound asleep that an angel has to strike him to wake him up? Now, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us that God put him into a sleep. We can't assume that. It almost reminds you of last week you looked at the story of Peter walking on water in Matthew's account in the Gospels where, where, where there's a storm, another storm where Jesus is, a, is asleep down in the hold of the boat in the middle of the storm and everybody's afraid of flying. Jesus is sleeping and they wake him up. Did you notice that? Peter is asleep. He is going to be executed like James the next day. I don't know about you. But there have been times in my life where there's been some very stressful situations. It, it may be the, the, the health of someone you love. It could be a death in your family. I mean, for you, what are they? Uh, loss of jobs, uh, challenging times with one of your children, family issues, children. You know, what happens? Oftentimes, you, you, the night before a, a major significant surgery that could be life-threatening. I mean, what, you know, how do you sleep? Sometimes it's pretty hard to sleep, isn't it? Because of the anxiety and, and, and it keeps us up at night. Peter is asleep. He's sound asleep. You know, I don't know all the, all the details, but all I can say is that Peter had been with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. His life was so dramatically changed by being with Jesus. At Easter time, we always enjoy listening to that song, I've just seen Jesus, and I'll never be the same again. We celebrated Easter two weeks ago. We've been with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, who had plenty of times in his life as he relates all the challenges and difficulties and the beatings and being left for dead and the imprisonments and going hungry and working hard with his hands, he says this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Peter, Paul, they had learned the secrets of how to be content because they've been with Jesus Paul was with Jesus too, the road to Damascus. They've been with Jesus. And I just think, I just want to mention to you that this is an important principle, Easter hope to remember. We talked about Easter hope and, and Palm Sunday hope that, that Peter could sleep. He was sound asleep. And we have to learn to trust God, to rest in God, and to believe that this is in his hands and he will accomplish what he desires to accomplish in our lives. Secondly, the second lesson, prayer in challenging times. 
we can't gather right now, but we can still pray as a church family. And for those of you who are listening from other places in the country, and we're glad you shared this service with us, we should be praying earnestly. These people were praying the same way Jesus prayed, with earnestness. And we should be praying for God's work. We should pray for an end to this virus. We should pray for the day that God will allow us to get back together into fellowship again and to be, be with people again, to share the gospel in ways that we can. We should be praying. This, these people were praying earnestly. Even though they didn't believe when Peter was at the door, they were praying. That's what they were doing on Passover. They were praying for God's redemption for Peter. And they prayed earnestly. This is a time of challenging times that we'll look back on someday. And hopefully we'll remember the time that it drove us to prayer. Prayer for each other. For God's family. For God's work. For those around the world. Our missionaries and their ministries. For prayer. Thirdly, it's a time to remember God's grace. Deliverance. One way or another, James was delivered through death to God's presence. Peter was not till later. He eventually was martyred as well. John lived to be in his 90s. Paul was killed for his faith. But deliverance, this is a message of God's Passover salvation. Behold, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is a message of God's grace. God's grace and mercy and salvation. What joy for Peter to be standing there. And it wasn't an angel. It was Peter. Reminds me of Daniel in chapter 3 where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to be thrown in that fiery furnace. And they told the king, they said, listen, we just want you to know before we go in here, our God is able to deliver us. We know that. But if he chooses not to, we just want you to know we never would have bowed down and worshipped the idol, the statue. They had such faith in God. If he delivered them, that was up to him. If he didn't, it didn't matter. They were faithful because of God's grace. God's ability to help us to to get through hard times. Peter slept peacefully. Prayer. God's grace. And the last thing I want to mention as we close today God at work. You know, the people were praying earnestly. And while they were praying, they didn't even realize God was at work. God was at work. Peter was in the process of being delivered and coming to them. And you know, at the end of this story in, in Acts, in this particular chapter, after Herod is, is killed, I want you to notice verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. During this whole time, not just then, but during this whole time, God was at work. And it says particularly the word of God. Notice that? The word of God continued to increase and spread. And the reason that's true, we've been studying Second Timothy before we uh, had to stop meeting together for this coronavirus, and we'll come back to Timothy. But in Second Timothy chapter 2, We looked at this passage some weeks ago in verse 8. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. So we just need to stop. Peter slept because 
He had been with Jesus. He had full confidence in the Lord's ability to care for him, to bring him home, whatever he desired. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. That's the best advice for challenging times. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, Paul says, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Paul was in chains just as Peter, chained to a Roman guard. Paul says, I am in chains, but God's word is not chained. And that's our message for today. Our message for God's help in challenging times. I just want you to remember, and I want me to remember, I want us as a church leadership to remember, and all those believers around the world to remember, and churches in our community and throughout the world. We need to remember that while we are waiting for this to end and get back together, for life to resume to normalcy, whatever that's going to look like, it's going to be a process, I'm sure, that while we are waiting, God is at work. God is answering our prayers. God's word is never quarantined. God's word is never bound. God's word is accomplishing his purpose right now. As we share this time together, God is at work bringing people to himself, answering needs, showing himself, using the church, the body of Christ, to share his mercy and grace. This is the greatest help in times of challenge. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. And remember, God's word is not bound. He is at work. And we should give honor and praise and glory and have joy today that God is at work. I trust God will be at work in your lives this week. Continue to look to him, to pray, spend time in his word. We look forward to sharing next Sunday with you as well. God bless you and thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your kindness, your provision. And we thank you in challenging times, Lord, that uh, we can turn to you, that we can have peace as Peter did, that we can pray, that we can see your grace at work, and that we know that your word is never bound. And God, we thank you that you are accomplishing your purpose, as you always will, you always do. And we thank you that we have a part in that. And we give ourselves to you this week to love you, to fellowship with you, and to share in your ministry. In Christ our Savior's name, we pray together. And if I was with you in church, I'd say everybody say together, Amen.